please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 1, as we will have the privilege of exploring the very text that that song you just heard was drawn from. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. You might think of this this morning as the first Christmas carol that was ever written. A song exalting God for the coming incarnation of the promised Messiah. In many circles, this song this morning is known as Mary's Magnificat because the first words of this song in Latin are Magnificat anima mea dominum. This song today plays a very central role in Roman Catholic liturgy, but it had a prominent place in Christian worship long before the development of Roman Catholicism. And it's been put to music in a variety of Christian traditions even since the Reformation, one of those you just heard. But I want us to understand this morning, brothers and sisters, that this is more than a Christmas carol. This is a battle hymn. And it remains a prime example to us even now of how we are to draw near to God to worship Him for the redemption that He has given us in Jesus Christ. And so read these words with me, beginning at Luke 1.39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let us pray. Father God, this is Your Word. Your Word that is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray now, Father God, that You will simply work through Your Word to conform Your people to Christ our Savior, to lift high Jesus, that we, Lord, may know Him, may fall more deeply in love with Him, and out of the love of our hearts, obey Him more fully. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Looking back at what has brought us to this point in the text this morning, 
We know as we look back that Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah, telling him that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Zechariah questioned that and was made mute until the child's birth. Elizabeth did get pregnant and she rejoiced in the Lord's blessing. Gabriel then went to Nazareth to Mary to, told her that she, to tell her that she would be the mother of the Messiah. And when Mary asked how this would be, how it would happen since she was a virgin, Gabriel told her that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and cause her to be with child. He further informed her that her relative Elizabeth was also with child because of God's intervention and that nothing was impossible with God. So today we see the joy that erupts when these two women come together. And we will further explore how Mary's song shows us themes of exaltation that should direct our own celebrations of the coming of our King, the incarnation of Christ. And we're going to look at this this morning through five points. So follow along with me. Because we're going to cover five points just in these moments ahead. And the first thing we want to see in the text is that God is to be magnified for the gift of His Son. God is to be magnified for the gift of His Son. As we pick up with verse 39, it says that Mary went in haste to Zechariah and Elizabeth's house out in the hill country. So it seems that Mary left pretty quickly after hearing Gabriel's announcement. This fact also means that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in her womb in very close conjunction with the announcement. Now, there were obviously no phones or even any kind of mail system for Mary to notify Elizabeth that she was coming. And the hill country of Judah was a few days travel from the region of Galilee where Nazareth was located. So unless these events just happened to fall near a visit that was already planned, Mary's arrival would have been a surprise to Elizabeth. We can imagine Elizabeth probably working on something there in the home, maybe blissfully thinking about the precious baby boy she was carrying when she heard Mary's greeting as Mary came through her door. Right at that point, the text tells us that the baby John leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, what we're seeing here is a, a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Again, given the time frame, it's impossible that Elizabeth could have known beforehand that Mary was the mother of God's Messiah. So what we see here is God giving Elizabeth a special anointing of His Holy Spirit to know the divine identity of her cousin's baby and to exclaim a prophetic blessing upon Mary for carrying the Redeemer. First, Elizabeth affirmed Mary's wonderful secret with a double blessing. Mary was blessed and distinguished among all the other women who have ever or will ever live because she was chosen to be the mother of God's own son. And of course, the baby she was carrying was also blessed of God. Elizabeth continued in verse 43 by revealing the identity of Mary's child. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The baby that Mary carried in her womb was the Lord, the Creator, the Ruler of all, the promised Messiah King. Indeed, even Elizabeth's own child leaped in her womb when she heard Mary's greeting, revealing that there was a special link between John and Jesus in redemptive history. Finally, Elizabeth concluded her prophetic word in verse 45 with what is called a formal beatitude. 
Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The Holy Spirit through Elizabeth was celebrating Mary's faith as she believed and submitted to what God had revealed through Gabriel. Mary had trusted herself completely to God's promise and given herself wholly to being an instrument in God's divine purpose. And that kind of faith in the Lord was to be celebrated. Brothers and sisters, when we consider Elizabeth and Mary here together, we see that what bonds these women together is far more than blood or even a shared time of pregnancy. It is always a blessing, I know, for ladies when you have maybe a close friend, maybe even a a, a family member in your wider family circle who's pregnant at the same time so you can experience and go through and celebrate the blessings of the Lord together. But what these two had in common was so much more than that. What has ultimately brought them together and bound them together is the gift of the Messiah. And here we see the joy that they share in magnifying God for the gift of His Son. Their hearts are linked as they celebrate God's gift of salvation. Brothers and sisters, this is true for the church as well, isn't it? What ultimately binds us together is the gift of Christ. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We too have a shared expression of joy as we are privileged to come together to celebrate and to magnify Christ. Indeed, it is our our worship that unites us. And as we come together on the Lord's Day, it is always our joy to unite our hearts together in worship. One commentator, Kent Hughes, wrote the following. He said, congregational worship makes possible an intensity of magnification that does not occur as readily as individual worship. On the tragic level, a mob tends to descend to a much deeper level of cruelty than individuals would by themselves. Conversely, the appreciation and enjoyment of an informed group of music lovers at a symphony is more intense than that of a single listener at home. In a similar way, corporate worship provides a context where holy passion is joyously elevated and God's Word comes to the hearts with unique power. Martin Luther spoke of this when he confided, At home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. That is part of the joy we have, brothers and sisters, to worship Christ corporately. A second thing we see in this text is that God is to be praised for His fatherly regard. God is to be praised for His fatherly regard. We pick up here with verse 46 where Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. As we begin to explore her salvation song, it's important to note that what she says here is saturated with Scripture. One commentator cited 12 different Old Testament passages that reflect, that this song reflects line by line, most of those being from the Psalms. Mary here is singing Scripture. Her song also bears a strong resemblance to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10, as she dedicated her son Samuel to service in the temple. 
Mary here begins her song with a very simple yet profound expression of praise. My soul magnifies the Lord. As Mary has come to Elizabeth's home and seen the evidence of what Gabriel promised and even heard now Elizabeth acknowledge that she is the mother of the Lord, she is filled with such joy and wonder that she cannot help but break forth in praise. She is awestruck at the sovereign goodness of God and humbly overwhelmed at the role that He has chosen for her to play as the earthly mother of Jesus. And so she cannot help but break forth in adoration. She says in verse 47, as she continues, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. This is an an intense expression of joy born out of gratefulness for salvation. And we do want to note again, we want to be careful to note again that Mary refers to the Lord as her Savior. In Roman Catholic theology, they teach that Mary was the product of an immaculate conception. It was a, that's a false doctrine. They, they teach that Mary was kept free from the taint of original sin. They further elevate Mary to the place of co-redemptress. But listen to me, if, if Mary was free from sin, she would not need a Savior. She would not need to refer to God specifically as her Savior. There is no doubt that Mary was given a unique role in salvation history. She would be the mother of the Savior of all men. But we see here her own acknowledgement that she needed God as her Savior as much as anyone else. This is but one of many biblical evidences that Roman Catholic dogma is so very wrong and contrary to Scripture. In verse 48, she continues, For he has regarded, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. You see, she refers to herself here as God's bondslave. And she also speaks of her humble state, which is likely a reference to her low social position. But the thrust of this verse is what God has done to bring about the incarnation of Christ through her. Her heavenly Father has shown regard. He has looked upon her with favor. And because of what He has done, future generations will count her blessed. And so she is praising her heavenly Father for all of these blessings. And for the way that He has shown regard for her. Once again, brothers and sisters, Mary's heart gives direction to our hearts. If we pause even during the worst times of our lives, we can see that even when things are most difficult, there's still so much for us to be thankful for. Right? We have many things on a regular basis that we might consider to be blessings. Just having jobs right now and the ability to work is a blessing. Our homes and our clothes and our food are blessings from God. Our church is a a great blessing. Our spouse and our children and our grandchildren are incredible blessings. But above all those things, we have been saved if we believe on Jesus Christ. Salvation in and through Jesus our Lord is the greatest blessing that a father could give to his children. God came to earth in the miracle of the incarnation to accomplish the salvation of sinful men and women. That is what is so incredible and amazing and awesome. 
And that's what we have to be thankful for every moment of every day. Precious child of God, when was the last time you deliberately took time to thank God for saving you? We have the privilege of celebrating every day what we have been given in Jesus Christ. This song that Mary sings is ours. We can join her in speaking these words and rejoicing in God's good gift and celebrating what God has accomplished for us in Christ. And that is what Christ even calls us to do. I know I'm with you. Sometimes we just don't feel so thankful. Sometimes we feel more overwhelmed by our circumstances and so focused on what we are struggling with rather than being in a spirit of thanksgiving. But this is our joy and the grace of the Lord in our lives, brothers and sisters, if we but look to Him. Not only do we know forgiveness for ingratitude, but as we behold Jesus Christ, as we but concentrate and meditate upon His person and work, then our gaze will be lifted from these light and momentary troubles as we are caused to behold His glory and the strength and power of His Spirit. This is His gift to us. Forgiveness and grace even when we struggle with ingratitude. That takes me to my third point. God is to be exalted for His divine attributes. God is to be exalted for His divine attributes. You know, many times here to our children in another context, we teach the, the acronym ACTS as a way to pray, right? ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That's, that's a good model for how we as believers pray. Well, as we think about what Mary says here in verses 49 and 50, what she is doing here is she is expressing her adoration for God for His attributes, right? In these next two verses, Mary exalts God for who He is, and she expressly mentions three virtues. First, she refers to Him as the Mighty One. You know, in, in the Hebrew of the Old Testament, there is no exact parallel for this name for God. And this is the only place in the entire New Testament that this designation for God appears. Ho dunatos. Obviously, it's, it's a reference to the power of God. But it's a unique word that encompasses the fact that God possesses the ability to do whatever the divine will desires. He is the Mighty One. And He has done great things. None can contend with Him. Even more, He is active in displaying His power in the lives of His people. Mary says He has done great things for me. God condescends in His sovereign power to be personally at work in the lives of His frail children. Secondly, Mary notes that God is holy. Holy is His name. Again, a person's name was a reference to His whole character, reputation, and being. And so God is holy. He is blameless and pure and set apart. He is in a class all by Himself. There is no one else who is like our God in perfect righteousness. In Isaiah 6 and in the book of Revelation, we are told of how angels surround the throne of God day and night, crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Mary here celebrates and adores God for His holiness. 
And then thirdly, in verse 50, Mary notes that God is a God of mercy. His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear Him. Again, God's mercy denotes His tender compassion. God is mighty. He is all-powerful. He is perfectly capable of anything He desires. He knows everything. He is all-present. He is perfectly righteous and holy. And God is also good. He is loving, patient, compassionate. He displays His mercy to generation after generation among those who fear Him. And there is no dichotomy between God's might and God's holiness and His mercy and His love. God is all of these things at the same time. And Mary here is acknowledging that she is one of those precious objects of both God's might and holiness and His blessing and mercy. Again, brothers and sisters, this shows us so clearly a, a picture of how we are privileged to praise God for His blessing. The blessing of His attributes, His goodness, His mercy, His holiness toward us. This is where it is our joy just to pick up the pages of Scripture and read from Genesis to Revelation because over and over we see the Bible recounting stories, pictures from history of how God displayed His power and His grace when He parted the Red Sea so His people could pass through on dry land and then crush the Egyptian army. When He answered the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel uh, uh, consuming His sacrifice when he even showed patience with the prophet Jonah who tried to run away, to run from the will of the Lord, and yet the Lord preserved him and gave him the chance again to go to Nineveh and proclaim his word. We see the same replayed over and over in the life of Jesus. What we will see as we work through this Gospel of Luke, Jesus is the most perfect expression of God among men. He is the Savior who could still the storm with a word. And yet, He had compassion on the people and even wept over the city of Jerusalem as He beheld their hardness of heart. He was a Savior that healed with a word, with a touch, with an embrace. He fed the thousands. He raised the dead. He healed the crippled and the blind and the lame. All as demonstrations of His amazing grace. And that is why, brothers and sisters, again, when we struggle in our hearts, when we struggle through the clouds of our own circumstances to see the goodness and holiness of the Lord, what wipes away that fog, what causes those clouds to disseminate is simply by going to His Word and beholding again the wonders of our Lord in the pages of Scripture. Then we are in a place as we behold Him to adore Him as Mary does here. That takes me to my fourth point. God is to be celebrated for His kingdom justice. God is to be celebrated for His kingdom justice. As Mary considers God's attributes and particularly His infinite might, as we come to the first phrase of verse 51, she continues by proclaiming the ways that God has worked to judge sin and to correct social injustice among His people. First of all, with His mighty arm, He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Now the use of the word scattered here harkens back to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. 
You remember the story from the Tower of Babel, right? You have all the people of the earth united in the same language, and they determine to cooperate together to build a tower into the heavens to make a name for themselves. But God will not suffer competition for His glory. He is a jealous God, and He will confuse, disperse, and if need be, decimate anyone who thinks they are on equal footing with Him. And thus, He judged those at the Tower of Babel by confusing their language and scattering them over the whole face of the earth. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. Secondly, in verse 52, He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who are humble. (laughs) You know, this is really important for us to remember too as we find ourselves in the midst of an election cycle. Isn't it? God raises up rulers and nations and God removes rulers and nations according to His own sovereign purpose. God is not a respecter of persons. Men may think they are powerful, but as it says in Isaiah chapter 40, the might of the nations is like dust on the scales in comparison to God. You know, last time you were at the supermarket weighing out your produce, did you bother to wipe the dust out of the scale before you stuck your little bag of produce in there? Did you? No. Because it's negligible. That's what the mightiest rulers on earth are to God. They are negligible. Isaiah 40, verse 23, He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless, Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. But He merely blows on them and they wither and the storm carries them away like stubble. That is how our God brings justice. Thirdly, verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Again, we know from the Gospels that there were many poor people in Israel during the time of Christ. Many beggars. And rather than being helped by the religious establishment, they were most often neglected, mistreated, and despised. Mary notes for us here that God is the one who cares for the poor. He feeds the hungry and fills them with good things. On the other hand, those who have trusted only in the riches of this life, those who have exalted themselves in wealth, are sent away from God's presence with nothing. Empty-handed. It is especially in Luke's Gospel that we see the establishment of Christ's kingdom in these terms. God is the one who turns the values of men on their head as the proud and the wealthy are laid low and the Gospel is taken to the poor, the outcast, and the sinful. The world values the opposite of what God values. And God will ultimately be the one to make things right. Mary, as she's looking back at God's works in the Old Testament and she's looking forward to the coming of the Messiah who is even now growing in her womb, she celebrates that work of God that's coming. She anticipates the radical social reversals that are going to take place as God establishes His kingdom on earth through His Son. And brothers and sisters, this is a reminder to us of where our hope lies, right? We live in the midst of a world that is tearing itself apart over social injustice. And there are many things that are wrong out there. There are many things that we as Christians should labor to make right. But we always need to remember as children of Christ 
that our hope is not in this world being made right. Our hope is in the Savior who will ultimately and finally bring justice to everyone and establish a perfect kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. We labor here for the sake of Christ through spreading the gospel of Christ. But our hope is not in a reformed society. Our hope is in the kingdom of Christ our Lord. That is what we look towards and that is what we worship our Lord for. That takes me to my fifth and final point. God is to be acclaimed as promise keeper to Israel. God is to be acclaimed as promise keeper to Israel. As Mary praises God for His blessings, as she exalts God for His attributes, as she celebrates what is coming in His kingdom, she understands all of it in the context of fulfillment. Look there at verse 54. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. As a faithful Jew of the line of David, she trusted that this day would come. She believed that God would keep His covenant promises. And by His sovereign choice, she was now blessed to be part of that promise being brought to fruition. Going all the way back to Abraham, the Jews were God's chosen people. They were set apart as a kingdom of priests to all the nations of the earth. From the get-go, we know that the Israelites made a lot of mistakes. They struggled with idolatry. They struggled with paganism. They broke God's commands over and over again. But God was long-suffering. Even when He punished them and had them carried away into captivity, yet He never abandoned them. He always preserved a faithful remnant. For it was through Israel that He would bring His Son into the world. As Mary here anticipates her role as the earthly mother of God's Messiah, she's rejoicing over how God is keeping His promise to her people. God promised them mercy, and what He spoke to their fathers, to the patriarchs, was now going to be realized through her Son, and so Mary here leaves us on this note of awe. She finishes her Magnificat, her song, by focusing on the God who keeps His promises. And there she leaves us with this sense of awe of a God who is faithful even when His people are not. Well, brothers and sisters, does the truth of that glorious Savior still strike you with awe today? As you think about, as I have, that I was unfaithful yesterday. And I was unfaithful the day before. And the day before that. And the day before that. Every single day, I sin against my Lord in some way. And every one of us do. Every single day, whether in thought or word or deed, we fall short of His perfect standard of righteousness. And yet, how merciful is our Christ. How patient and loving is our Savior. He is not just a God of second chances. He is a God of 
third and fourth and fifth and 70 times seven and on and on and on. Our Savior strives with us, molding us, shaping us, forgiving us, conforming us all to His person. According again to His promise, He who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of Christ Jesus. And as we think on that, brothers and sisters, it should leave us in awe. It should leave us in awe and in a state of worship just as it did Mary. Mary's song directs us in our practice and understanding and worship, but she takes us beyond that to stand in awe of the person and work of Christ in every facet of our lives. And it is that awe, brothers and sisters, that keeps us Paul David Tripp in one of his books said, one of the central missional gifts of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to give people back their awe of God. A human being who is not living in a functional awe of God is profoundly a disadvantaged human being. He is off the rails trying to propel the train of his life in a meadow and he may not even know it. The spiritual danger here is that when awe of God is absent, it is quickly replaced by awe of self. If you are not living for God, the only alternative is to live for yourself. So a central ministry of the church must be to do anything it can to be used of God to turn people back to the one thing for which they were created, to live in a sturdy, joyful, faithful awe of God. Brothers and sisters, may we look to Christ and be in awe. May His Spirit, by His Word, direct our hearts, console our hearts, comfort our hearts, that we may be drawn ever more deeply into Him. Don't look to this world, this earth, for awesome things. You will truly not find them. Not truly things that would make you filled with awe. Everything of this world is destined to perish. And that which you would invest your heart in that are the pleasures of this world will only leave you empty and ultimately destroyed. But in Christ, we have a fountain of mercy, a fountain of joy, a fountain of beauty that is constantly overflowing. That if we drink from that well, if we drink from that fountain, we shall ever be filled. So let us, brothers and sisters, always, always look to Christ. Are you looking to Him today? If He is not your Savior today, His Gospel call goes out to even you now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you are here today and you have not yet come to this place where you have confessed Jesus as your Savior, where you are trusting in Him as your Lord, know this very moment that His grace and forgiveness are yours if you but look to Him and trust in Him. Knowing that the life He lived in perfect righteousness is for those who trusted. The death He died on the cross bearing the wrath of God in our stead is for those who trusted and would trust. His resurrection from the grave to conquer death and ascend to the right hand of the Father. His life is for those who trust in Him. So believe this day in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, will you? And walk in the joy of knowing the awe of Christ. Let us pray. Father God, Your Word is good. 
what riches we find when we come to the pages of Scripture. And what a wondrous Savior we are privileged to behold. You are the Savior that says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and find rest for your souls. Oh Lord, let us come unto you and know you and walk with you and rejoice in you. Lord, give us the very same heart that you gave Mary as she sang these very words some 2,000 years ago. May we glory in Christ our Savior. In His precious name we pray.